If you've missed it, today's Resurrection Sunday. And um, we as a church love today. I think as a Christian church, this is, this is the most important event in history. You know, two days ago, we looked at the story of Easter. For those who made it to our Good Friday service, and we looked at how the cross answered the question of, am I good enough? And we saw deep down on the inside, none of us are really good enough. None of us can really do enough be good enough to be accepted by God. That's, that's what we started at Good Friday. But then we looked at the cross. We saw that upon the cross a transaction occurred, something supernatural occurred. At Good Friday, we learned that none of us are good enough. We learned that Jesus was totally good enough. And we learned that upon the cross, Jesus made us good enough. Jesus took his, and all the grammar Nazis can't get me here, all, Jesus took all his goodness and all our badness and he swapped it across. He became sin, who knew no sin. And that was the message of the cross. He gave us his goodness. He gave us his, the, the churchy word for that is that he gave us his righteousness. He gave us his right standing with God. And uh, uh, what it does for us, it shows us how extravagantly God loves us. I want to tell you one thing. God loves you. God loves you so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe upon him would not perish, but would have life everlasting. That's the message of the cross. And because of Jesus' death, because of the shedding of his blood... Each one of us can receive forgiveness and each one of us can be restored back to perfect relationship with the Father God, our Creator. And whilst we love the message of the cross, none of the, none of the actions of the cross would be worth anything if Jesus didn't get, rise again from the dead. The resurrection is the, I've written that the resurrection is the single thread that holds all of Christianity together. If you could... If you want to destroy Christianity, simply destroy evidence of the resurrection. And I'm gone again on this. Okay, we don't need that, do we? No, we don't. Okay. So Jesus makes us good enough, and the resurrection shows that he is the Son of God. That means everything Jesus said is true. If you want to disprove Christianity, disprove the resurrection. And the problem is, if you go back 2,000 years ago, the people with the most to lose could not disprove the resurrection. The Jewish authorities, they could not present the dead body of Jesus. I mean, it would be as simple as that. If they, were to, if they really wanted to destroy this uprising of, of Christians, simply show the body. The might of the Roman Empire, they couldn't present the body of Jesus. There was too much evidence attesting to the fact that Jesus rose again from the dead. There's so much evidence. In fact, there's more documented evidence regarding the resurrection of Jesus, more documented evidence regarding his resurrection than there was about the things that Julius Caesar did. I mean, our world can readily accept who Julius Caesar was and the records regarding him. Or the fact that Alexander the Great, he died at 33 years old. Did you know that? But did you know there's more evidence 
historically, I'm not talking about the Bible, I'm not talking about Christian evidence, I'm, well, it includes Christian evidence or the biblical records, but there's more historical documentary evidence that tells us that Jesus rose again from the dead. And so when we come to Easter and we think about what it means and the... Here we go. Thank you. And so as we come across Easter and we, we look at the cross and we look at the empty tomb, I want to start by looking at empty dreams. Because we can celebrate and eat our eggs. Today, I'm not too sure, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands who hasn't got any eggs just yet. Or haven't you? Did you get one before? All right, just, just checking. You can have AJ's, it's just there. The first Easter, the first Easter Sunday, no one was celebrating. The only celebration that was happening on, on, on Easter Sunday morning at the beginning of the morning was the Jewish leaders who were probably hung over from their party because they just crucified Jesus. Jesus' followers had scattered and were hiding in fear for their lives. Now, for those of you who have experienced the, the death of a, of a loved one, what I've experienced is death is final. I don't know about you, but it's so hard to walk away. It's so hard to walk away from the room. It's so hard to walk away from the grave. It's so hard to turn your back on, on someone you've loved and who's, who has died. Death is so final. It's so irreversible. It is the end. Death really looks us in the face and said it's done. It really is finished. And for Jesus' disciples, they'd been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen Jesus raise the widow's son from the dead. They'd seen Jesus raise Lazarus from the tomb. Perhaps as they were watching the cross, maybe they were just hoping, maybe Jesus, maybe he'll call 10,000 angels to get him down from the cross, to rescue him. But as they watched from a distance and they saw the scene and and the body was was taken off the cross and wrapped in cloth and laid in a tomb and the stone was rolled across it. Death is final. They knew there was no coming back from this. They knew that they'd never see their friend again. They knew they'd never see their son again, their brother again. Maybe they cried, maybe they wept. Maybe they sat alone in stunned silence. What could you say? When you face death, when you face grief, when you face these situations, there's nothing that can be said. And for the disciples, the thing that they promised that they would never do, they deserted Jesus. The one that they had given their lives to follow, they turned their back on him and they deserted Jesus. And they couldn't fix it. They couldn't make it right. I wonder what the disciples would do if they had their time again. If they could grab their infinity time stone and twist it backwards or or spin like Superman around the world backwards to make time go back again. Would they do things differently? The disciples had a whole range of feelings they were going through. They were overwhelmed by failure. They failed him. The disciples were overwhelmed by grief. 
You know, life is, is, is full of if onlys. If only I didn't say that. If only I didn't do that. If, if only I did do that. If, if only I'm sure the, the disciples in this time between Good Friday and Easter Sunday, I'm sure they were wrestling with the, if the only. If only I didn't run away. If only I didn't deny him. If only I didn't chop the guy's ear off. If only I stayed there. If only I was faithful. If only I didn't give up. We all wrestle with the with, with onlys, if onlys in life. Talk about not feeling good enough. These disciples didn't feel good about anything. Grief, disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement, fear. They'd be weary. They'd be exhausted. Friday was not a good Friday for them. Saturday was even worse. As they started to come to terms with what had happened... But none of them could imagine what God was about to do. This is where we pick up our story. We, we come across disciples with empty dreams. They'd given their life to follow Jesus. They'd, they'd believed Jesus was the, the coming Messiah to deliver the Jewish nation from the Roman oppressors. But that's gone. He's dead. Empty dreams. Mark chapter 16. Empty tombs. Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe, sitting on the right side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, Don't be alarmed. It's like Kamal. Um, You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He isn't here. He has risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Then they briefly reported all of this to Peter and his companions. Each of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all tell the story of the resurrection. And they all emphasise different elements of the story, but it's the same story. The story would be that, that the women went to the tomb, that the story would have that the stone was rolled away. Each story would indicate the presence of angel or angels waiting to explain to them what had happened. Each story would tell us that the body of Jesus was not in the tomb and it wasn't because people had moved the, the body away. Jesus' body wasn't there because he rose again from the dead. The angel made it very clear that Jesus isn't here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead, he would say. He is risen just as he said he would. And the angel then goes and instructs them, instructs them to go and tell the disciples the good news. That's the resurrection story. Every single one of the gospel writers includes that story. How would you respond if you watched Jesus die on the cross, get pierced with a, a sword in his side and blood and water flowing out, which indicates uh, the body had entered its... Well, there was, there's no more life in it and the water and blood separated How would you respond if you saw Jesus get taken limp 
off the cross with no breath in his, li- in his lungs and taken and put in a tomb and, and seen the stone rolled across and seen the Roman soldiers put on guard. How would you respond if you'd seen all that? And then two days later, some women come running in during breakfast and tell you that Jesus was alive. What would you think? I think they're crazy. In verse 9, after Jesus rose from the dead early Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman who had cast out, he'd cast out seven demons. She went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they thought she was crazy. For me, the only way that I could possibly believe this story, this is, I mean, I'd be thinking, this, am I, is this a dream? Am I, am I, am I, I, don't, I can't comprehend, I need to see Jesus with my own eyes. If I'm, I think, Mary, I think you're delirious, I think you're tired, I think you're seeing things. I think, I don't, I'd be looking at her thinking, I don't get it. Mary, he's dead. That's what I'd be thinking. But then the same thing happened a bit later to two other disciples. Afterward, he appeared in a different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country. What did they do? They rushed back to tell everybody, but what? They thought it was crazy. They thought, you guys, I'd be thinking, Mary, then these guys, but part of me will be wondering. Part of me will be thinking, hang, hang on, is it possible? I don't believe it. I saw him. I saw the stone. I saw the guards. Maybe it's possible. But for me, I'd still want to see him with my own eyes. No, I can't believe this until I see it with my own eyes. Anyone like me? Who do you want to see it with your own eyes? Finally, Jesus appears to the remaining disciples. To the 11 disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he'd been raised from the dead. Finally, Jesus comes to the whole group of disciples gathered. There couldn't be any more doubt. These disciples had seen him with their own eyes. In fact, it's recorded that Jesus appeared at least 10 times to different groups of people after his resurrection. In fact, one of those recordings would tell us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people at one time. These appearances convinced the disciples... Seeing Jesus with their own eyes, it convinced the disciples that he really is alive. He really is alive. He rose again. So much to the point that these disciples who were once hiding in fear of their lives, hiding from the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities, hiding because Jesus had been crucified, something happened that caused them to come out of hiding and to declare that Jesus is alive, and to give their lives to the cause of Jesus, so much to the, to the end that almost all of them were martyred. They were killed for their faith. They could have simply said, he's dead, and they would have lived. Each one of the, the apostles, the disciples, they gave their life. They were beheaded, they were boiled in oil, they were crucified, they were speared. They were killed because they believed Jesus was alive. Why would they make it up? If your life was hanging in the balance and you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't give your life for a lie. 
For the disciples, they didn't need any more proof. They'd seen Jesus with their own eyes. It's staggering that people back then and still today still refuse to believe that Jesus rose again. We can't ignore that fact. We can't, we can't put it back to a fairy tale or, or put it back to an event in history. There's documented historical proof that the tomb was empty. And the eyewitnesses would record, over 500 eyewitnesses at one time would record that Jesus is alive. You look at Thomas, one of the disciples, and he was like me. He's the one who said, yeah, I'm not going to believe this story until I see him with my own eyes. So in John chapter 20, Jesus comes to his disciples and he focuses his attention on Thomas. He says, take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. Thomas's response to seeing Jesus with his own eyes is to acknowledge that Jesus is his master, his Lord and his God. Thomas's response to a resurrected Jesus was the right response, a very valid response back then and it is now. After Thomas had an encounter with Jesus, he went from unbelieving to believing. When Thomas met Jesus, he was unbelieving in the resurrection and he became a believer in his resurrection. Legend would have it that Thomas would then eventually find himself travelling across to India. He'd land on the shores of the west southwest coast in Kerala and he would travel across from Kerala, which is the southern tip of India. If you know India's like that, southwest, he'd land there and he'd move across to Chennai, Madras. And there is a place which I visited a few years back where they would say this is the place where Thomas was speared and killed. You see, these are real people, real events, real history. Not, not myth, not fairy tale, not something someone made up. Thomas, the, the, the doubter, Thomas, the unbeliever in the resurrection, he's had such an encounter with Jesus that he would then give his life to carry a message of Jesus across the seas to a people he'd never met. And those same people would kill him with a spear. Jesus said this regarding Tom, to Thomas. Jesus said, so Thomas, you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. This is an invitation for us. Thomas had the privilege of seeing Jesus physically with his own eyes. Jesus said, Thomas, that's wonderful. But there's a time coming when people will believe in him without seeing. Jesus is thinking of you. When Jesus is saying this to Thomas, he's thinking of you sitting in high fields today. He's thinking, you know, there's people who will believe in me without having to see. And Jesus says, what a great blessing there is for them. Empty dreams, empty tombs. My last thought this morning is empty nets. A final passage that I want to finish. I want to get back to my question good enough? Am I good enough? John records the third time the verse above that says this is the third time that that Jesus appears to his disciples. Now the background of the story is that Peter wanted to go fishing. And he said, okay guys, I want to go fishing. 
Everyone said, sounds like a good idea, I'm up for it. So seven of them went fishing. They fished all night, but they didn't catch anything. Then at dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. They say he was, he was, The Bible says about maybe 100 metres off, off the shore, and they couldn't quite figure out who that person who was yelling at them was saying. He goes, fellows, have you caught any fish? No! What? No! Throw out your net on the other side! What? Throw your net on the other side! Thanks! (laughs) So they did. And they caught so many fish... They couldn't haul the net in because there were so many fish in it. Now, this story of fish and fishing on the other side of the boat, this wasn't a new experience. The disciples just heard a man. They didn't know it was Jesus at that point. They just heard someone giving him some fishing tips. All right, give it a go. But I reckon at this point, something happens. This happened right at the beginning. This is at the end of Jesus' ministry. Right at the back at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, three years ago, Peter was still there. But back then, his name wasn't Peter. It was Simon. And Simon wasn't yet a disciple. Simon was a fisherman. And so uh, this is before Simon started following Jesus. And Simon, um, Jesus, effectively, Simon lends Jesus his boat. Jesus does some talking to the crowds. Then Jesus said, well, go a bit deeper. And then, did you catch any fish last night? Simon goes, no. Jesus says, well, why don't you cast your nets on the other side? Simon says, you know what? You've got no idea what you're talking about. I'm a fisherman. You're not. I fished all night and nothing happened. But because you say so, I will do it. And so Simon, three years ago, threw his net on the other side of the boat and caught so many fish. And so, three years ago, Jesus says to Simon, you know what? I'm not going to call you Simon anymore. I'm going to call you Peter. Your name is now going to be changed from from Simon, that means just someone who has heard, to Peter, that means a rock. And upon this rock, Peter, I'm going to build something called my church. I'm going to establish on this revelation, Simon, that you have. I'm going to build upon the revelation a church that is powerful. I think I read this passage before. I talked about it anyway. And so, understanding what happened three years ago, it helps us understand this. This is three, this is now, if you watch those shows and you go back and forth in time, it'd be nice if they told you three years later, three years, sometimes they don't tell you. I'm telling you, this is now Easter. This is post-Easter. It's not three years ago. The disciple... Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, now his name is John, and so John calls himself that. He wrote the gospel, he wrote the story, he doesn't like putting his own name in, but he goes, then the disciple who Jesus loved said to Peter, Peter, I think it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for it, stripped for his work, he, he put his togs on, he jumped into the water, then he headed to the shore. The others stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net onto the shore for they were only about 100 yards from the shore. 
When they get there, Jesus gives them a hot breakfast of fish and bread. And then we come to the bit I want to just spend a little bit of time on before we've got some elements and some creative things we're going to finish the service with. So, James, Peter and John realise Jesus is yelling at them from the shore. John tells Peter, I think it's Jesus. Peter, yeah, I'm off. I'm, if that's Jesus, I want to be there. I don't want to miss out on him. And so Peter swims to the shore. When he gets there, there's breakfast waiting for him. And then Jesus takes Peter for a little walk. This is the first time that's recorded that Jesus and Peter have had some one-on-one time. This is the first time that Peter's talked to Jesus since the events of Good Friday and the resurrection. Can you imagine how Peter felt? I'm sure he was glad that Jesus was alive. Of course you'd be glad. But if it was me, knowing that I denied him, I'd be ashamed. I'd be embarrassed. I'd be, I, 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 wouldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't look Jesus in the eye. I'm glad that he's resurrected. I'm glad he's alive. But what have I done? I can't, I can't uh, as I reflect on, on what, what, what Peter did and think about myself, I, I'd be thinking, I denied him. I left him. I deserted him. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. There's a whole other sermon in the interaction between Jesus and Peter and the expression of love. The most common understanding of this passage is that Jesus asked Peter three times about his love for him because Peter denied Jesus three times. I want you to notice a couple of things here that Jesus doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. Jesus had already changed his name to Peter. Simon Peter. Peter, you're a rock. But here when Jesus is, is dealing with Simon's brokenness, he doesn't call him a rock. And I'm sure Peter didn't feel like a rock. I'm sure he didn't feel good enough to be called a rock. I'm sure he didn't feel good enough to be even called a friend of Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, I don't blame you that you're not calling me Peter because I don't feel like a Peter. I don't blame you for thinking that I failed you because I failed you. I don't blame you for thinking I've let you down because Jesus, I let you down. And Jesus here in this space, in this moment, Jesus restores Peter simply and gently by reminding him who he used to be. He says, Simon. He says, Simon. Simon the fisherman. He starts there. 
And in this interaction, Jesus restores Simon the fisherman from what he was. And he establishes Simon for who he would be. He said, you know what, Simon, you may not feel like a rock, but I have a plan for your life. I don't want you to be a fisherman. I want you to be a shepherd. In the same way, Jesus would say, I am the good shepherd. Jesus is saying to Peter, you know what, Peter, you may have failed me. You may have let me down. You know, you may not feel like a rock, but I'm asking you and calling you and positioning you to be a shepherd. Peter lifts Jesus. Jesus lifts Peter from his failure to his future. The cross reminds us of our failure. It reminds us of the fact that Jesus had to die for our sins. That's what the cross reminds me of. The empty tomb reminds me of my future. The empty tomb shows Peter that his future is not bound by his past. We're going to do two things before we finish. We're going to watch a little video clip. Our friends from the Skip Guys have joined us in over Easter. I'm going to watch a clip in a minute. And then after the clip, a couple of minutes after the clip, we've got a special creative item. So I'll over to Trish and Andre. Thanks. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus, is that you? You're alive. I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman. I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord. And you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. This is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on. Peter, yeah. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? I love you. Yes. And I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, Yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. And so me and John, 
down. We hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb. There it is. It is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do. And you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait. The angel said what? Uh, Go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. He said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. shows us that Peter is defined by what God says about him. Peter was not defined by his failure. Peter was not defined by his weakness. Peter was not defined by his ability to be good enough. Peter was not defined by his own self-worth and Peter was not defined by what others think about him. Easter reminds us that God does not hold our past against us. God does not hold our failures against us. Even when we mess up, the the cross reminds us and shows us what grace is. And the empty tomb shows us that no matter how defeated we may feel, that death is not the end. The empty tomb tells us that we are good enough. The empty tomb tells us that, that we are good enough that we are strong, that we're not weak, that we are loved. The empty tomb shows us that we are healed. The empty tomb shows us that we still belong. Easter reminds us that what God says and what God thinks about us, what God says and God thinks about you and about me is far more valuable than any other voice we can hear.